Well, Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for worship. Worship prepares us for the word. So, Father, as we worship you tonight, I hope that our hearts are prepared, that the ground is prepared, that our minds are fully alert and aware and open to receive your word, and that, Holy Spirit, you tuck it deep into our hearts. So, Father, I just thank you tonight uh, for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. And uh, open the word up to us, Holy Spirit. Let us drink it in. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going through Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. How many people are baseball fans here? Like you like some other team besides the Mets? Mets, Mets, no, soccer, right? Yeah. So, you know, the Hall of Fame is a big deal when it comes to baseball, isn't it? Anybody ever been there? Come on, raise your paws, yep. It's it's quite an interesting place, quite a, a collection of history. And, you know, as a baseball fan, you kind of get excited about that stuff. You go with fathers and sons, and you point out players that maybe your, your youngins didn't know. But as exciting as that can be in sports and all of that stuff, th- there's nothing like being in the Hall of Fame where God puts you there. Amen? You can hit a ball. You can do this. You can do that. That's great. But it doesn't last forever. This stuff lasts forever. And the Hall of Fame of faith here has got people in it that... Even though it's hard for us to understand, they're, they're normal people like you and I. Yet they did extraordinary things. How? By faith. And God noticed them, and he noted them, and he, he put them in chapter 11 here for us to look at their lives and to emulate some of the principles that they applied so that we too could be pleasing to him and that we too could catch his attention and express faith in a way that produces something eternal through our lives. You know, you can live your whole life and never produce anything eternal. There's many people that do. Or you can mix faith into everything you do and you can produce eternal things. So here we are. We're looking at all these characters here. Tonight we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham uh, is the father of faith, the patriarch of the Jewish nation. And uh, in Hebrews 11 through 8 through 10, there's one blurb about him. And then there's a second one after uh, in verse 17 uh, through 19. So Sarah's in the middle there, his wife. We're going to kind of skip. We're going to do Abraham tonight. We'll get to his wife next week, God willing, and the creek don't rise. But here's what Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he left not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So there's the first three verses about him. And here's the next three in 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, who was tested, offered up Isaac. And the one who had received the promises was offered up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, for which he also received him back as a type. So there's six verses on Abraham that comes out of Hebrews 11. And we're going to take a look at those six verses in detail and pull them apart. But I just want you to notice before we jump in, three times it says here in those six verses, by faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, 
Abraham when he was called. By faith, he lived as a stranger. By faith, when he was tested. So there's three by faiths in there. And that's important because basically those are the things that he did and expressed in his life that landed him in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So if we want to know how Abraham got there, it's those by faiths that we're going to take a look at. Now there's three of them and six verses, and we're going to take a look at them tonight. Now before we jump into that, uh, we're going to talk about some basic facts about Abraham. Most of us know quite a bit about him. The Bible says a lot about him. We're going to talk about the Genesis account briefly. But here's some interesting facts from Abraham was born in Babylon. Now, you know, many of us think of these old cities and we don't think of the geographical correspondence today. Babylon is modern day Iraq. So Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, was born in Iraq. If that doesn't you know, make your head spin a little bit and realize, you know, what Iraq is today and how they relate to the Jews. God took uh, a man out of Babylon and he took him out there and he built a nation around him. So he was born in Babylon, modern day Iraq, and he lived in a place called Ur. Uh, you know, an interesting spot, Ur. We don't know much about Ur, but uh, he came from there. Abraham was born the son of Terah, and he named him Abram. In Genesis 17, God would change his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. Now, you know, we're not going to dig into all of the, of the things that God promised him tonight, sticking to the text in Hebrews 11. But God took this man and said, I, I want to build a nation out of you and that your descendants are going to be more numerous than the sands on the seashore. So, you know, that, that, that's a lot of people, right? And he's going to take this guy out of Babylon. They, they weren't Jews. They weren't Christians. They were pagans. And Babylonian paganism, if you study it, has woven its way through world religions today. And you can still see the remnants of that. But he was extracted from there. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, calls him the father of many nations. Now, Abraham married Sarah, and she would bear him Isaac, the son of God's promise. But Abraham had two sons. And that's where a lot of the fun began with the two sons here. The first son he had because they got tired of waiting for the promised son. He was getting old. She was getting old. She was getting past childbearing years. So uh, his wife, Sarah, said, go into my handmaiden, Hagar, and, and lay with her. And Abraham didn't fight her too hard on that. He went in and did it. And so the pro byproduct of that was Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was man's idea, not God's. God rejected that uh, son that they had by their own will because in their impatience, they refused to wait on God. Remember, every time we try to help God out, we make big messes. Ishmael made a big mess in the family uh, because he was not the son of promise, yet he was the firstborn. So, you know, God was kind of just, you know, sitting back to see what they would do. And then eventually when Sarah's past childbearing years and Abram is old, uh, it took till he was almost 100 years old to have Isaac. But finally she gets present, pregnant and she has Isaac. And that's the son of God's design. It's the promised child. So we have one son of man's design, one son of God's design. And there's a conflict there and it causes all kinds of problems in the family. Abraham became the father of the Jewish people as God promised, although he saw it in seed form and through uh, his sons, the promise was fulfilled. He instituted the practice of circumcision. 
and God instructed him to do that. That was a cutting away of the flesh. You all know what circumcision is. You think, well, you know, now it's just kind of a medical thing. What's the big deal? The big deal is that only the Jewish people were circumcised. They would circumcise their male children on the eighth day, and if it would, it would differentiate them from all the peoples of the earth. In fact, you remember what David said about, what about Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, the Jews were unique. They were set apart. There was a cutting away of the flesh, symbolic of them, you know, being God's holy people. And so that whole practice of circumcision was started by Abraham, and uh, he proved uh, a, a willing servant of God, even though he didn't live a perfect life, he proved himself to be an incredible uh, man of faith when he decided to listen to God and offer his son Isaac on an altar. You all know that story. So that's a big deal right there. He lived 175 years, and then he died, and his two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. And so there's a little bit about Abraham. There's, there's a whole lot more. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament has a lot to say about this guy. In fact, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25, it's going to tell the story of his life. So, uh, you know, I'm not that great at math, but I think that's like 13 chapters. Yeah, Genesis 12, 1 to Genesis 25, 11. So there's a lot about him, and, and rightfully so, because his life is chronicled carefully because he is the patriarch and the founder of the Jewish nation. The nation came through him just as God said. Hebrews 11 is the account we get here about Abraham's faith, and let's look at verse 8 to start off with. Verse 8 lists the first of three by faiths. It says here, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left, not knowing where he was going. Now, to some of us, going someplace that you don't know where you're going is not a big deal, right? Most, some of you are looking at me lost most of the time, going in circles. But now we got these incredible little navigating things, right? Anybody old enough to remember maps? Anybody can still fold one? Fold it. If you can fold a map, that's like black belt level stuff right there. But now we have these little things in our hand. We can punch any address in. We stick it in the car, and, and it tells us how to get there. You ever get someplace, you just listen to the thing, you have no idea how you got there? Ain't feeling me tonight? I, I mean, I get places, and I'm like, I, I got to press go home because I don't even know how I got here. But Abraham left everything he knew, and he went to a place, and he had no idea. And that, that was the first part of his faith that caught the attention of God. In fact, he had to take three giant leaps of faith just to fulfill that first one. No, number one, God called him to leave everything he ever knew. He called him to leave his home and leave it all behind. It's just, it's just as if God said, hey, Rick, you know what? Leave behind your family, your friends, your comforts, your church, you know, all your belongings, all, all that you have there, and follow me to a place that you know nothing about. How many would agree that that would take a lot of faith? You know, most of us, I mean, if God asks us to move to a different state, that's a big deal, right? If God says you go into the mission field, that's a big argument, right? Okay, so God calls this guy to leave everything he ever known to go to a place where he didn't know where he was going. The second thing about that, the second leap of faith he had to take was this. God called him to leave his inheritance behind. 
See, his family had wealth. His family had land. There was an inheritance for him. If you had a huge inheritance and, and God said, just leave the inheritance, leave it all and just follow me, I, I'll take care of everything. W- would you think that would take a little bit of faith? Some people are just laughing. They'd be like, God, ask somebody else. See, if, if you've got nobody else, I'll do it, God. But if it takes a lot of faith to do what Abraham did to leave not only his home and his family and, and all that, but to leave his security, to leave his wealth, to leave his inheritance behind. Look, at it, look what it says here. Uh, he obeyed him, what, to going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. He's like, let go of your inheritance, and I'll give you the inheritance I have for you. Yet he didn't know where he was going, and he, he didn't know what that would be. He didn't know what it would cost him. In fact, if you see what Abraham went through to get that inheritance, <laughs> if we knew beforehand, he might have said, I think I'll stay home. Because he went through a lot of painful stuff and a lot of humbling things, a lot of stripping, and he never saw the full inheritance with his own eyes. His sons possessed it, and that land that God promised him as an inheritance, others possessed it, but he never did. God called him to leave everything behind, leave your retirement, your 401k, your property, your, your, the, the stuff your family was going to leave, your bank account, just walk away and follow me. If you don't think that takes great faith, you're just kidding yourself. The third leap of faith that he had to take just for verse 8 was this. God calls him to go to an unknown location. Apparently in Babylon there, in Ur where he was, that was the known world to them. They didn't know anything beyond that. And he said, I'm going to take you out of here to some other place that you don't know, and and I'm going to lead you. And and so basically, Babylon was the entire known world to him. Everyone he knew, everything he had, every experience was there. He didn't, uh, he, he had to walk away from it all. Now, he didn't know anything beyond it. And it was clear that Abraham had no idea where he was going because the text flat out says it, not knowing where he was going. That's trust. That's faith, amen. And if you think it would be easy to do what he did, you know, there again, I, I think a lot of us would balk at it. This guy had great faith. It's like, you know, leave, the, leave your known world. Well, where am I going? I'll, I'll show you. Just trust me. Wow. Great faith to trust God for things like that. Verse 9 uh, is a second by faith that is in Abraham's life here. It says, by faith he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as, a, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So the second by faith is that he leaves, and he lives in the land that he's going to as a stranger. Look what it says there. He lives as a stranger and a foreigner. Now understand something. Abraham was willing to live a lifestyle of faith. You know, this is something we don't readily understand in Western Christianity, but, you know, when I was in Bible school, some of my professors would talk about missionaries that would just go on the field with nothing, with no support, with just go because God said so, and live a life of faith. Trust God for housing. Trust God for food. Trust God to meet the right people. And I mean, to, to really have a walk of faith that just completely trusts in God. Now, by judging by the looks on all of your faces here, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? 
You know, Jesus said to his disciples when they, when they went out at one time, you know, don't take an extra staff, an extra coat, don't take any money, don't take any food or any provisions, just go. And when you go, you know, you go to a house, if they receive you, you bless it. If they don't, you know, you shake the, the dust off your sandals. That's a faith walk, isn't it? That, that's a type of faith walk that most of us know nothing about. We have steady paychecks, money in the bank, we have provisions, we have inheritances, we have all of these things, and yet there's an element here where God would like it more than anything else if we didn't trust in any of those things and we just walk by faith. What was the deal with the Israelites in the desert? He wanted them just to trust him. You need water, I'll get it out of a rock. You need meat, I'll let it fall from the heavens. You, you're hungry, I'll provide you manna. I'll be your provision. I, you just trust me. And they had a hard time with that. And we'd have a hard time with that too, which shows us, you know, uh, we can all grow in our faith, amen? We worry about so many things, and I think it must frustrate God because he's, he's, he's 50 steps ahead of us in his provision. And we're sweating over the details here. So Abraham was willing to walk by faith, to live a lifestyle of faith. And he didn't immediately possess the promise of God. That's what I want you to see. You know, when God says something to us and he makes a promise to us, how long are we willing to wait for it to come to pass? God says, I'm going to do this for you. And you think, okay, God, by Friday? Two weeks max, right? And sometimes things go on for years. Anybody ever been there? Sometimes things go on for decades to the point where we start questioning ourselves, did God actually say that to me? Did, was that really from God or did I mishear or did I, did I just, you know, make that up myself? Was it really God? You can start to doubt yourself and second guess yourself. And when it comes to the promises of God, how long are we willing to wait? You know, in the case of Ishmael, they weren't willing to wait for Isaac. Come on, this is Abraham, the father of faith. You know, you would think, oh, he would wait patiently for a hundred years. No, they ran out of patience and they tried to help God out. We do that all the time. We try to help God out and we make Ishmael's and they make a mess. But how long are we willing to wait for God's promise to come to pass? How much are we willing to endure without compromising or quitting and just wait on God to fulfill his promise in his own time? You know, these are questions that would show us where our, our level of faith is at. You know, if I can't wait, if I can't endure, if I constantly try to help God out, if I constantly second guess whether I even heard God, all of those things show us the level of faith that we're at. Now, Abraham's faith and Sarah's faith wasn't perfect. They did have an Ishmael along the way, but they did wait and they did endure and they did finally have Isaac. Now, how long will I wait? How long will I endure? The answer to those questions uh, tell us a lot about Abraham's faith and a lot about our own faith. It says that he lived as a stranger in the land that God had promised him. Could you imagine that? Walking around and God saying, as far as your eye can see, from here to there, all this, it's all yours. Everywhere the sole of your foot touches, it's all yours. But did he ever own a piece of it as he walked upon it? No. He saw it with his eyes, but he didn't take possession of it. And there again, th this is, you know, this is where faith has to kick in. That, you know, well, God, I don't have the deed to it. God, I don't own it. Nobody's selling, God. There's other people here. Did you know there was other people here? But I'm telling you, it's yours, every bit of it. 
and your descendants are going to possess it as an eternal inheritance. But he walked as a stranger, as a foreigner on the land that God had promised him. How in the world did he keep himself together mentally and emotionally in that state? It was faith. And it was great faith. Because God said it, he believed it, and even though he didn't possess it, remember, if you got it in your hand, you don't need faith to obtain it. But if you don't have it in your hand, you need faith to believe God's promise for it. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He lived as a stranger in a foreigner in the land that was his as an eternal inheritance. His descendants did possess it. Now, verse 10, Abraham's life was both humbling and you know, kind of tumultuous. Uh, he, he walked around, what does it say here? For he was looking for a city which foundation and whose architect and builder was God. So he's looking for a place. He's traveling around. Look what it says here in verse 9. He traveled around in tents. He was a foreigner in the land living in tents. So the guy was nomadic. He was wandering around, and he lived in tents. Now, how much do you think his wife liked living in tents? Any of you ladies want to sell the, you know, sell the ranch and get rid of all the cars, get some camels and tents, and let's just wander around? No. Ladies like to nest, right? Come on, ladies, testify. Don't get quiet on me now. So he, he's got this situation where he's going around with his wife and his kids, and they're nomadic, and they're wandering, and they're living in tents. What, what, what my point is here is that's a humbling thing to not have your own place, to not have your own land, to not have anything. You left everything. You had all that. You left it. God said, trust me. And then he said, no, you're going to wander around, and you're going to see it with your eyes, but you know what? Your descendants are going to possess it. So there again, that was, you know, that was all faith there, and it was humbling. Let, let, let me just tell you sometimes, you know, what God asks us to do is not always going to tickle us and make us giggle. It's not always fun, and it's not almost ever easy. There's a stripping process to it. Well, I had all this stuff, God. I had the inheritance. I had the land. I had a place in Ur. But I followed you out here, and, 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 and I can't possess this right now, and I'm living in tents, and it's humbling, and I'm wandering. You see, there's a stripping process, but yet he, he didn't quit. He didn't go back to Ur. He didn't complain. He trusted God, and that was great faith. You know, I wonder how many in our generation would be willing to abandon all their social status and wealth and the, a place to live in that. I mean, and just trust God to live hand to mouth until the end of our lives. Thank God for Abraham, amen? Because I think what he did is an amazing thing. Abraham trusted God, trusted in God's provision, wandered around looking for that place. It was no small feat. It, re it required the type of faith that lands you in chapter 11 of Hebrews. So Hebrews 11, 17 through 18 are more, uh, more of by faiths for Abraham here. It says in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, say tested. Abraham by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promise was offering up his only son. Let's just, you know, let's take a look at that right there, that uh, Abraham, 
was tested by God. Now, that might seem strange to us, but we need to understand what that's all about. You and I should never forget these two things. Number one, God tests us to prove us. God tests us. Well, I thought I was out of school. I graduated when I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and now I'm saved and born again, and I'm headed to heaven, and there's no more tests because I'm saved. That's exactly wrong. Everything we're going to accomplish in the kingdom, everything we're going to do for the the Lord, every part of our call, every part of our anointing that we're going to take hold of is going to require testing and proving. I know there's not that many of us here, but it's really quiet. (laughs) Well, I thought God would just give it to me, you know, because, you know, he said. uh, No, there's a test involved. There's proving involved. There's a test of character. There's all of these things. You know, know, so whatever ministry you're called to, whatever station you're called to, there is a proving time. God just doesn't, you know, hand it over there again. We have to go through times of trial and testing. Now, that's the first thing that you should remember. Number two, remember this. God tests us, but he never tempts us. Get that. Okay, oh, man, I'm going through a lot of temptations. I think God is testing me. No, God doesn't tempt us. God tests us to prove us fit for service, to prove us worthy, to show us what we're made out of, to show us where we need work, to to humble us, to keep our egos in check, amen? There's nothing like, you know, failing the same test over and over to humble a person to where we have to go before God and not with our chest puffed up and our nose in the air, but just like, oh, Lord, I, I blew it again. So God tests, but the devil tempts. Look what James 1, 12 through 14 says. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Verse 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. God doesn't use evil to tempt us. That's the devil. The devil tempts us. He gets us to, you know, to believe a lie. We fall on our face, we fail, and then he brings condemnation on us. God tests us to prove us, to get us to be spiritually mature. But he doesn't use, you know, he'll use the devil as a pawn to perfect us, but he's not tempting us with evil. And he certainly doesn't condemn us. The devil tempts us, makes us fall, and makes us feel really bad, and he condemns us. God just convicts us and says, get up again, son. Get up again, daughter. One more try. We're going to get it, right? We're going to make it here. I got the Holy Ghost working on you full time. Clear the schedule just for you. Amen. Abraham's test was designed to prove his faith and his faithfulness to God. And his test was that he would sacrifice his greatest treasure, Isaac. And think about that. He waited so long. Uh, you know, he was 100 years old, and he finally gets his kid. I don't even know how he played with him. I don't even know how he put him on the altar. I, I don't know. At 100, I'm only 51. I'm just like, they don't make men like they used to. 
But here's the promised son. Here's the one they waited for. You know, they, they had their Ishmael and it didn't work out. And Ishmael's sent away. And here's Isaac. And he's such a blessing to Abraham. Everything he ever wanted. And, and he only had one son. My descendants are going to be so numerous. But I got this one son. I need at least one. And God says, give me the one. Put him on the altar and sacrifice him to me. Wouldn't you love to have been there for that conversation? He'd be like, say that again? Say what? Sacrifice the son that I waited for all this time, the son of promise. You know, and, and his test was, you know, really, would he obey God's command? Would he sacrifice his treasure, Isaac? Would he uh, sacrifice even the potential of his own legacy? I left everything, and now it's going to be for nothing. His willingness to sacrifice Isaac basically showed that Isaac had not become an idol to him and that God was still on the throne of his heart. Do you know the promises of God can become idols to us? The blessings of God can become idols to us? Oh, God, I just want this. If, it, if you give me this, I'll never ask for anything else again, and you get it. And then you turn it to Smeagol. My precious. And God's like, give that to me, and you're like, ah. What is that all about? That we turn our blessings into idols. Abraham's test was, has Isaac become an idol to you? Is your son now more treasured in your heart than me, your God? And the answer to that was no. Wow. There's certain things that I know if God asked me for, there would be resistance. There would be complaints there might even be bitterness if he just took it come on let's just be real but this guy's willing to lay down his son proving that he hadn't become an idol he treasured him but god was still on the throne of his heart it proved that abraham had a heart like god in heaven that you know our father in heaven was willing to give his only son and abraham you know like a type of the heavenly father showing that he's willing to give his only son and that he was willing to sacrifice him and, and even push aside his, his own promise, his own destiny. Uh, it's just a powerful thing there. It says here in verse 18, it was he to whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. So he knew full well that if I, I kill this kid and I only got one son, you know, I'm not going to have any descendants. But listen to verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he has also received him back as a type. So what is that saying there? A Abraham knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what was tied up in this kid, but he believed in the supernatural power of God, that God could make another way. If God's asking me to do this, I trust him. If I, put, if I sacrifice this boy, maybe God will raise him up again. Maybe God will bring another one through my wife, Sarah. Maybe God, maybe God, but I don't know what he's going to do, but I believe in him. Woo, that's faith. <coughs> Verse 19, Abraham believed God and he valued his relationship with God even more than what God had promised him. Never let your blessings, never let the promises become more important than a relationship with the one who gave them to you. <coughs> God promised me this, but I trust him enough to be obedient. I trust him enough to be able to turn it around, to do it another way, to do the miraculous. 
I believe in his ability to make it come to pass because he said it, and I believe him. That's faith. That's big faith. That's faith that supersedes emotions, that supersedes the intellect. I mean, think of all the things racing through his mind. Think of all the emotions. No, his faith was bigger than that. Our faith has got to be bigger than our intellect. Well, I can't wrap my head around it, so I can't believe God for it. Oh, you just put a lid on yourself. Our faith has got to be bigger than our emotions. Oh, God, please, please, wah, wah. God's up in heaven like, trust me. I love you. I got you. I, I said it. I promised. And Abraham had that kind of faith. This should, this should you know, really incite us tonight to dig in, to, to develop our faith, to, to believe God when emotional things come, when, when, when our intellect is maxed out, we can't figure out how, just to believe God because he said so. You know, we got to know the promises of God. We can't just make them up. God promised me a Mercedes. Well, you, you, you know, if he didn't, then, you know, you can hope all you want. You could, you could, you know, say, quote all the scriptures you want. But if God promised you something, then you can believe him for it because he never breaks his word. And he gets it done. So verse 19, as we said, you know, he had faith in God. He believed him for the miraculous. Notice the last word of verse 19. It's an interesting thing. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. So I believe you, God, even if it takes miraculous stuff, you got this. For which he also received him back as a type. That word type there is, you know, referring to something that Bible teachers call typology. And when, when it says that something is a type, it's a clue that it's... it's representing more than just what it represents in that circumstance. So here's the definition of typology. Typology is the aspect of biblical interpretation that treats the significance of Old Testament types for prefiguring correspondence with New Testament antitypes or fulfillments. So basically what it's saying is the Old Testament is types and shadows of what's going to occur in the New Testament, and that we can find these Old Testament types there. I, I want you to know what typology is because it's important that we see the types that God's trying to get across to us. And I'll give you just four of them tonight from uh, you know, this situation with Abraham. But number one, Abraham is a type of our Heavenly Father. He resembles the heart of God. How? In that he's willing to give his only son to sacrifice his very best. Who else did that? God did it with Jesus. When did God do it? After Abraham. So Abraham was a type. He was a foreshadowing of what was to come in the, in the New Testament. And he showed the heart of God that God was willing to give his very best for us. And unlike Abraham, who the angel held his hand so that he didn't sacrifice the boy, our heavenly father let Jesus endure the cross the shame of it, the brutality of it for us. So Abraham's a type of our heavenly father. Isaac is a type of Christ. Why? He, he was going to be the sacrifice. <laughs> Nobody wants that job. We're thankful for Jesus. But Isaac, you know, lays on the altar and trusts his father. And uh, the boy was not a little, little boy. He was big enough and the father was old. So you know there was a trust that took place there. Isaac shows us a type of Christ, a willing uh, 
a person willing to trust his heavenly father and lay his life down at his father's behest. How about Ishmael? Ishmael is a type of man's sin and disobedience. That's why we see Ishmael was man's efforts. We see all of man's efforts in religion and trying to make rules and trying to make patterns and types and earning salvation by works and doing it in our own strength. And Jesus comes along and shatters all that and says it's a free gift and I've done all the work. Just believe. So there's typology that applies to Ishmael. How about that ram that was caught in the thicket? Remember that? Abram is about to, you know, send the boy to his eternal reward. The angel stops him, but then there's a ram caught in the thicket. What's that a type of? It's a type of God's provision to provide a spotless, worthy sacrifice. Amen? You know, Isaac wasn't a worthy sacrifice. He wasn't spotless. He wasn't blameless. Jesus was a worthy sacrifice. So... Often in Scripture, look for types, look for typologies, uh, look for these things. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes we used to say in uh, Bible school, sometimes the tent pegs are there just to hold up the tent. Some of you are not listening. But anyways, uh, I hope you uh, open your eyes to those things. You're going to see a lot of things in the New Testament, that uh, Old Testament that apply to the New. But Abraham had these three by faiths, and he was the father of faith and the father of the Jewish nation. And God used this simple man that he plucked out of a pagan culture, and he birthed a nation through him. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just as the Jews do. There's only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I thank you for this study. I thank you for Hebrews 11. I thank you for Father Abraham, who models faith for us. I hope that we've dug past the veneer tonight so that we can see the depth of this man's faith. And the things that he did were, that were not easy and that are even beyond the level of faith that we're probably walking in right now, allow him to inspire us and challenge us. Father, that we would trust you. We would trust your word we wouldn't balk at your promises. We'd be willing to let go of everything to please you and to serve you and to follow you, even when we don't know where we're going, to trust you to get us where you want us to be. I, I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.